Jayam Vishnupad Paramhamsa Parivrajakacharja Ashtotata Sri Srimad A.C. Bhaktiranta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Anantakota Vaishnava Vrindaki All glories to assembled devotees All glories to assembled devotees All glories to assembled devotees All glories to Shishi Guru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajnana Timirandasya Jala Jala Shalakaya Chakshulun Militam Jena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I re- offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatitswa Padantikam when will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpatarubhyascha kripasindubhayavacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namonamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Vaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Sri Radha Kalachanji, Srila Prabhupada, and Srila Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. We are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1, Creation. Chapter 11, Lord Krishna's Entrance into Dwarka, text 9. just want to point out the coincidence of today being 11.9 and us reading from 11.9. I love things like that. Yarhi ambujakshaspasara bobavan. Gurun Madhun Vata Shudrikshahai Satrabda Koti Pratima Shano Bhavan Ravim Vinakshor Ivanashtava Chutya Ambujaksha Sara Bhava 
Ravim Vinakshno Rivanashtava Pchita Yerhi Yerhi Bhobavan Gurun Madun Vata Srutitrikshaya Tatrabdo Kati Patmakshano Pavel Ravim Yadhi Whenever Ambuja Aksha O Lotus Eyed One Apasasara You go away Bo O Bhavan, yourself, Gurun, the descendants of King Kuru, Madhun, the inhabitants of Mathura, Va, either, Atta, therefore, Sridhikshaya, for meeting them, Tatra, at that time, Abdakoti, millions of years. Pratima, like. Shanaha, moments. Bhavet, becomes. Ravim, the sun. Vina, without. Akshno, akshno, of the eyes. Eva, like that. Na, Ours. Dava. Your. Achuta. O infallible one. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. O lotus-eyed Lord, whenever you go away to Mathura Vrindavan or Hastinapur to meet your friends and relatives, every moment of your absence seems like millions of years. O infallible one, at that time our eyes become useless as if bereft of sun. Purport. We are all proud of our material senses for making experiments to determine the existence of God. But we forget that our senses are not absolute by themselves. They can only act under certain conditions. For example, our eyes. As long as the sunshine is there, our eyes are useful to a certain extent. But in the absence of sunshine, the eyes are useless. Lord Sri Krishna being the primeval Lord, the supreme truth, is compared to the sun. Without him, all our knowledge is either false or partial. The opposite of the sun is the darkness. Similarly, the opposite of Krishna is maya or illusion. The devotees of the Lord can see everything in true perspective due to the light disseminated by Lord Krishna. By the grace of the Lord, the pure devotee cannot be in the darkest darkness of ignorance. Therefore, it is necessary that we must always be in the sight of Lord Krishna so that we can see both ourselves and the Lord with his different energies. 
As we cannot see anything in the absence of the sun, so also we cannot see anything, including our own self, without the factual presence of the Lord. Without him, all our knowledge is covered by illusion. So today we'll discuss vision, knowledge, and how to obtain both. So we're discussing here that the inhabitants of Vrindavan, when upon greeting Krishna as he comes back, or he's coming back to Dwarka, and they're saying that um, whenever he goes away, every moment feels like millions of years, and they have no, like they can't really see anything because. Their eyes become useless. They're not looking upon the Lord. And we, in our material conditioning, think that we see everything that we need to see. We, we think, if I can see it, or if, it, you know, if I can experience it, then it's true. And if it's not, if I'm not seeing it happening, it may or may not be true. I can't prove it, right? So we rely heavily on our senses. And we often think, well, you know, if God was real, why can't I see him? The response really is, do we have the vision to see? When we come in front of the deities, do we see really beautifully decorated stone idols, or do we see Radha Krishna, Radha Kalachanji, God in his form as a deity? In the purport of um, Bhagavad Gita 11.48, Krishna, I mean, Prabhupada says, who can have divine vision? Divine means godly. Those who are atheistic, who do not believe in Vishnu, or recognize only the impersonal part of Krishna as the supreme, cannot have the divine vision. It is not possible to decry Krishna and at the same time have the divine vision. One cannot have the divine vision without becoming divine. So in order to see Krishna, we have to have some level of faith that he exists. You know, I've heard it said that, you know, if you are unsure if God exists, if you don't believe in God or you're unsure to believe in God, ask him, you know, do you exist? And be ready for whatever answer comes your way because the answer will come if you ask with, you know, pure intentions, not in a um, defensive way or a uh, like obstinate way where you're just like, demanding or being sarcastic even. But if you're asking in a pure and with good intentions, with curiosity, like, do you exist, God? You know, please show me a sign if you exist. Well, he'll show tons of signs. It's just a matter of will you see them? Will you know that this is God giving you the sign? And if you leave a little bit openness in your heart, if you're open to that, then you can see all the signs all over. Um, It reminds me of that story. Uh, I think we all know the story of there's a big flood and this man is standing on top of his house and he thinks that God's going to come and save him. And a rowboat comes by and they're like, come on in the rowboat. We'll, you know, we'll uh, take you to safety. And he's like, no, no, God will come and save me. And then um, a motorboat comes by. And they're like, come on, we'll take you to safety. And he's like, no, no, God will come and save me. And then a helicopter comes. And he's like, no, don't worry, God will come and save me. And eventually he drowns. The water levels rise above his house and he drowns. 
and he's at the pearly gates of heaven, and he's asking God, like, God's surprised to see him, and he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, God, I waited for you to to save me, and uh, God's like, what do you mean? I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more do you want? Right? So we have to recognize when things are coming from God. Even when Krishna came down on earth, we have his pure devotees, the gopis, the gopas, his, the inhabitants of Vrindavan, of Mathura, that purely believe in him, and they feel this separation. Every moment feels like a million years. But on the other hand, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 9.11, fools deride me when I descend in the human form. They do not know my transcendental nature and my supreme dominion over all that be. And that's how in some ways we are. We don't realize like he comes in his transcendental form in the form of his his deities. He agrees to be Radha Kalashanji. Like this is actually Radha and Krishna. But do we have the vision to see that? You know, so knowledge comes in two forms. It comes, well, there's two parts of knowledge. There's the knowing that this is Radha Krishna, but then having faith that the deities are indeed God in this deity form, and we can worship him and them in that, in that level. So to have divine vision, we have to have real knowledge. And, you know, if we look at what is knowledge, knowledge are facts, information, skills acquired by a person through experience or education, the theoretical or pa- practical understanding of a subject. And we can gain knowledge in so many different ways. We can do experiments and learn. Right? We can take uh, instruction from someone else. We can read books, watch DIY wit videos. Um, there's some things that we just need an, instruction, an instructor for. Like if you want to learn how to play music, you need someone to help you understand the musical notes to, so that you can hear it and then you can imitate it in some extent But while you're reading the notes. So you need that part, the, the, the knowledge to read the notes, but then also how that translates onto the piano or guitar and how do you make your fingers move in the way you want it to move, that kind of thing. So we have knowledge that are gathered from imperfect senses um, and that makes it imperfect knowledge. We have imperfect um, sight. We have limited sight. I can't even see what's going on in the hallway. We have technology now. I can set up a camera, and I can connect that camera to my iPhone or iPad and see what's happening. But still, if the, if somebody goes out of the range of the camera, I can't see them anymore. Or there's sometimes blind spots in a camera's vision, right? So really close underneath the camera, you can't see what's happening behind certain corners. So our sight is very limited. Our hearing is limited. Um, we can only hear what's close. As we get older, we start losing our certain frequencies of hearing. The higher pitches, we lose faster. Um, and so even our hearing is very limited. And we can, again, use aids. We can use hearing aids to help us hear. We can use um, headphones if you're listening to something and it makes things a little louder so you can hear things a little clearer. But still, you know, it's like there's a limit to how much we can do with our hearing. We have limited touch. You know, if things are far away, I, don't, I can't touch them. I, I don't have 
stretch arms. It's too far away. I can only touch with his, with what is within my, you know, immediate surroundings. Like I guess three feet of, around me because um, that's as far as I can reach. With limited taste, um, you know, we have all these taste buds, and even like one, I can only taste what I'm putting in my mouth. I can't look at it and taste it. I can sometimes look at it and remember how something like that tasted before. But sometimes we're disappointed by that, right? You look at a piece of um, chocolate cake, and you remember the last time you had that cake, and it was so good, it was rich and chocolatey and decadent, and you know, and you see that piece of cake, and you think it's going to be that same way, but this time it's dry. Um, maybe it's a little too bitter or a little too sweet. You know, so just because you remember it a certain way when you actually taste it, it doesn't mean that it's that same taste. And then we have different taste buds for spicy, salty, bitter, sweet, um, tangy, you know. And But some for some people, some of these taste buds are a little bit more defined than others. Some people can handle the bitterness. Um, some people can't. Some people can handle the spiciness. Some people can't. And we know that with um, coronavirus, the COVID, a lot of people lose their sense of taste. You know, so a virus can make us lose our sense of taste temporarily and smell, which is our final sense. So again, we can only smell what's immediate vicinity. I can't smell what's happening in you know, the kitchen um, at a, a friend of mine's house who cooks very nicely. Um, even though she may be a few streets down, I can't smell what her kitchen smells like at this moment. I may, again, remember what it smells, but I don't know how it smells right now. Right? And then, like I said, when people had COVID, that was, that's a big you know, symptom of getting COVID is loss of sense of smell and taste. And sometimes that can take a long time to come back. I mean, what to speak of COVID, when we have like cold or allergies and we have mucus and inflammation in our nose, it's harder to smell things. Um, and we know that smelling things actually enriches our taste of food, right? Like it's a whole experience when we're eating. There's, there's texture to food, so there's that sense of taste. There's what we see, how appetizing it looks. Um, you know, sometimes the sounds of cooking, so we're hearing the preparation of food. So there's this whole thing of food, but sometimes if you can't see it happening, you are cut off from certain parts. I think these, there's these, like, restaurants, I think pre-COVID, I don't know if there's anything since COVID, they used to use these, like, sensory deprivation-type restaurants. It would be, like, pitch dark, and you don't really even see your food, but, like, the only experience you have is to taste it. So it's so then you only get the sense of smell, taste, and um, touch, right? The texture in your mouth, and you know people report that it's a very different experience to not see the food that you're eating. So again, you turn off the lights, and we can't even see, right? So we have very imperfect senses. So then we have to rely on, you know. Other people that have gone before us that have seen certain things to to report to us what is what is it that we need to see what is knowledge to teach us these things through instruction and 
Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 13.3, you should understand that I am also the knower in all bodies, and to understand this body in its knower is called knowledge. So that is the basis of knowledge, to understand that Krishna is the knower, and he is where knowledge comes from. And when we understand the soul, the body, Krishna, the relationship, that is knowledge. Prabhupada clarifies in the purport, he says, one who studies the subject matter of the field of activity and the knower of the field very minutely can attain to knowledge. Perfect knowledge of the constitution of the body, the constitution of the individual soul, and the constitution of the super soul is known in terms of Vedic literature as jnana. Real knowledge is to know that the super soul is the controller of both the field of activities and the finite enjoyer. And this is very difficult to know. Like, it's it's an easy concept, right? Krishna is the controller. He's the knower. He's the doer. Um, and he's the enjoyer. And yet we think we are. Even if we are reading this and we know that Krishna is, we still think, our material conditioning, our ego still thinks, oh, we are, you know. So we tend to want to control things because we want certain experiences. We want things to be a certain way because it makes us comfortable so that we can enjoy it. So we have very strong attachments like this, and we try to control everything around us. Sometimes we don't even understand how that can affect and impact the people around us when we are trying to be too controlling. Like We want certain things. Um, I know I've been guilty of that where... Um, want a certain way of, of something to happen or certain things to be a certain way that we can just speak in a way that may not be pleasing to another person because we just want that, um, you know, it could be that I just want that message out there. Like, that's not the way you do it. Um, we may feel frustration and express it that way. And sometimes it can be even very derogatory where... It's like, you don't know anything. Can't you do anything right, you know? And this is all, like, symptoms of wanting to control. So we have to be very mindful that at the end of the day, we're not the controller. You know, there's no need to micromanage every little thing. If we are planning, like, let's say, a party, and I give an assignment to, you know, someone to, like, take care of the decorations, then... I've given that, you know, up, like, you know, in some ways I'm giving control of the decorations to that person and however they want it to be done. Whereas, you know, I can come in and be like, oh, that's not what I had in mind. I don't want that, you know, if I didn't communicate it. Or if that's what I wanted and they were trying to do it, but it wasn't working out because, you know, sometimes things don't work out the way you see them in your mind. So if we're attached, we, we really bring ourselves more misery, and we bring misery to those around us when we try to control too much. But if we understand that we're not the controller, that we make the endeavor, we do our best that we can to do the best job, um, sometimes it gets a little frustrating in the Pujari room where you'll look for certain jewelry, accessories for the deities, and they're not in the right place, and it takes so much longer to find things or... Things are not taken care of, right? And so that brings a little frustration. And in some ways, that's 
Okay, because it's not frustration for myself, it's frustration for the deities and their paraphernalia. But at the same time, we have to say that everybody's doing their best, you know, kind of let go of that control of wanting everything to be in its right place and nicely set up. Um, but at the same time, hoping that everyone is doing their best. You know, sometimes it, it can feel like they're not, but that, again, is my limited vision or perception. Right? Again, it's hard to see um, what we don't know. Like, we don't know what we don't know. And it's hard to see that effect on other people, right? So our, our sight is very limited in this material world, even not just physical sight, but we don't even see sometimes the impact we have on other people, um, things that we may say or do. So it's very important that if we are looking in terms of I'm not the controller and the enjoyer, then we it's easier to lead with love, to lead with compassion, and to say, oh, okay, this person is doing their absolute best to you know, decorate this party or to put the deity paraphernalia away. So understanding that there is more to the world than my personal perception. So to continue, Bhagavad Gita 18.20, Krishna says, that knowledge by which one undivided spiritual nature is seen in all living entities, though they are divided into innumerable forms, you should understand to be in the mode of goodness. The purport explains a person who sees one spirit soul in every living being, whether a demigod, human being, animal, bird, beast, aquatic, or plant, possess knowledge in the mode of goodness. To see that one superior nature, that living force in every body, is to see in the mode of goodness. And that's what we're striving for in every interaction that we have with any other body, right? Whether it's human or animal or bird or beast, um, demigod, plants, we we want to realize that the super soul and, you know, the soul is present in every one of these living entities. And so we want to have respect and compassion for them. So when we're feeling frustration or um, anger or disappointment or jealousy or something, you know, some negative emotion towards someone or something, some, you know, some living entity, we have to take a step back and realize that, you know, that person, that person, that being is also a devotee of Krishna, a super soul. Krishna is in there in his super soul form. And that, you know, the soul itself is a devotee of Krishna, whether it's covered or not. So it's really important that we keep these things in mind, even though we can't see them with our limited vision. So we bring it back to that feeling of separation. We don't even have that feeling of separation yet. You know, this we know that we're unhappy. We know that um, we're constantly seeking pleasure because we are, you know, constitutionally eternal beings of knowledge and bliss. So we're constantly seeking knowledge, you know, to understand. We are reading books, watching things so that we can gain some knowledge. Um, and we're constantly seeking pleasure. 
And we sometimes think knowledge will bring us pleasure and pleasure will bring us knowledge. So these things that we're pursuing, and also no one wants to die, so we're also pursuing eternality, right? Um, people want to live forever. They're looking for to become immortal. And that's because, on, again, once again, that is our constitutional position as eternal beings. The body may pass away, but the soul never does. The soul is never destroyed by any weapon. Um, that soul continues on and it moves from you know, one body to another. So sometimes we can see things you know, with our limited vision and our limited knowledge that are happening. I think we had a slight um, discussion last week about God always protects us, and someone had a question about um, the events that are happening or that were happening in Bangladesh and other Hindu temples that people were being attacked and killed and children and women um, also being attacked raped, you know, very horrible atrocities being committed. And these are devotees of Krishna. And if we say that Krishna protects us, how can these things happen? Well, again, we're seeing with our limited vision, with our limited knowledge, you know, these things are horrible, and it's hard to say that, oh, it's somebody's karma that they're undergoing this. Um, but on some level, there is some lessons that need to be learned, some tests that sometimes we have to undergo um, to prove that we are indeed fully faithful to Krishna, um, to God, to our beliefs, and that we're not going to falter no matter what. Um, it could also be that, you know, it is the time for these devotees to leave their body, and Krishna does it in such a way that everyone that surrounds them has something to learn. They can learn something from this. You know, we don't know what Krishna's intentions are. We can speculate, but we also can have faith that he knows what he's doing and that we can pray that, you know, that everyone that's affected by this finds their peace somehow. Um, And again, this is all limited knowledge. We don't know, you know, what... Each person is undergoing and how they're feeling and what they had to undergo and, and what they're learning from it. We also don't know on the other side of it, the attackers, what they were thinking, what you know, what led them astray to that point, right? Because we know there's always things that happen. There's an action and a reaction and an action and reaction. And so many of our reactions are not well thought out without thinking of the consequences and then that can spiral. So, you know, someone's thinking, man, these people have it really good and they the envy starts sparking in their heart and they read something about how, you know, anyone that's not of their faith needs to be killed, right? So they're reading this and they interpret it one way because of their experiences, because of the knowledge that they've attained from their limited senses. And then they tend to act on that. Maybe somebody else's, you know, other people are echoing that. And so then it becomes more and more perpetuated. Oh, they don't deserve to live, right? So the mind can be led astray in so many different ways. And we ourselves don't want that to happen to us. So we work on bringing it back to 
not taking things personally, to understanding that we're not the controller or the enjoyer. Because if we want to enjoy, then we can fall down those that downward spiral and you know make commit hellish atrocities. Um, but if we are understanding that Krishna is the enjoyer and we're serving Krishna and we're serving all of his devotees, whether they realize it or not, whether they're actually acting inimical to Krishna or, you know, as a friend, that everybody is a devotee of Krishna. I mean, even, you know, the Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha were actually devotees of Krishna, but they took on this form to, one, um, rectify, you know, some uh, offense that they made, but also to give Krishna somebody to fight with, right? That Krishna likes to fight and wrestle, but he wants to have good opponents. So it's both ways. And then after they lived their three um, different incarnations, uh, they were liberated. So even, you know, a demon that fights Krishna can become liberated. So we have to understand that at any moment someone can spark that change within their heart. And, you know, again, I'm not saying we turn the cheek. Uh, we defend ourselves if we need to because we are devotees of Krishna and therefore we defend devotees of Krishna, right? But we also have an understanding that everybody is just struggling. This material world is full of misery and everybody has their own karma and path and journey and we hope to impact as many people as we can positively. Understand that, you know, if somebody says something to you, it may not really be to you, so you don't have to take it so personally and let that, you know, seed fester in your heart and um, grow to some hateful action. So we'll bring it back to the mood of the devotees of... uh, Vrindavan, Mathura, Dwarka. And if we look at the Shikshastakam, verse 7, Lord Chaitanya says, My Lord Govinda, because of separation for you, from you, I consider even a moment a great millennium. So this is the same sentiment that was expressed by the residents. Like, even a moment felt like a million years that he was gone. Tears flow from my eyes like torrents of rain, and I see the entire world is void. Again, this is the same sentiment, that their eyes were useless, and they felt bereft of the sun. They had no joy. Um, and, they're, and here, Lord Chaitanya is describing it as void. Like, everything is just void, you know. He concludes in the Sri Shastakam, verse 8, I know no one but Krishna as my Lord, and he shall remain so even if he handles me roughly by his embrace or makes me brokenhearted by not being present before me. And this is again what the devotees of Mathura are explaining in this verse that, you know, even though you're not present here and it feels like torture makes, makes them brokenhearted, they still give themselves unconditionally to Krishna. He is completely free to do anything and everything, for he is always my worshipful Lord unconditionally. So we see that um, this is the mood that we're trying to attain to, right? This feeling that only Krishna 
is the source of happiness, and being connected to Krishna is our source of happiness and joy. And that whatever he does, whatever he does to us or for is really for us so that we can deepen our love and interaction for him. So if we see everything as, you know, Krishna is doing this for us so that we can deepen our love and interaction, then it may become harder during challenging times, but during those challenging times it becomes even more um, important that we ask ourselves these questions, right? We're, you know, like that was one of the things, you know, earlier this year when it was freezing cold outside and, you know, there was no heat. It was really hard to think of, like, how is this happening for me? What is Krishna showing me with this, right? Because it's so miserable. Like, you can't, it's really hard to think of things like that. But that is the exact moment when I want to think of things like that. When things are going great, it's easy to think of, oh, wow, look at all the blessings Krishna has given me. When things are going difficult, it's really hard to see the difficulties as blessings, though we know that they are. We'll go on to say in a lecture Srila Prabhupada gave on um, Srimad Bhagavatam 1.5.13 on 6.13.1969 in New Vrindavan, Prabhupada says, unless one has clear vision, how can they do welfare activities? You do not know what is welfare. Your vision is clouded. If one's vision is clouded, if you do not know what is the destination of your journey, how can you make progress? Therefore, the qualification. Those who are prepared to do good to the human society, they must have clear vision. Then where is the clear vision? Everyone is becoming leader. Everyone is trying to lead people, but they themselves are blind. They do not know what is the end of life. And he quotes um, Srimad Bhagavatam 7.5.31. Persons who are strongly entrapped by the consciousness of enjoying material life and who have therefore accepted as their leader or guru a similarly a similar blind person attached to external sense objects, cannot understand that the goal of life is to return home back to Godhead and engage in the service of Lord Vishnu. As blind persons guided by another blind person miss the right path and fall into a ditch, materially attached persons led by another materially attached person are bound by the ropes of fruit of labor which are made of very strong cords, and they continue again and again in materialistic life, suffering the threefold miseries. So it comes to who are we learning from? You know, if we have bad influences, we're going to go down a bad path, which basically means bad means taking us away from Krishna. And good influences are bringing us towards Krishna, and then we can have neutral influences that are neither bringing us towards Krishna or away from Krishna. But what we want is good influences, because from neutral, it's very easy to head, tip over into away. When we're in the towards Krishna, you know, we may falter a little, but we're still heading towards Krishna. So it comes down to um, Bhagavad Gita 434, just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from them submissively and render service unto them. The self-realized souls can impart knowledge unto you because they have seen the truth. So when we have someone that has seen the truth, that understands this real knowledge that we're not this body, that we're spirit soul, and this soul is constitutionally the devotee of Krishna, um, a servant of Krishna, 
and is teaching you from that point, you know, from that platform, then we can understand that this to be a true spiritual master. But the importance is, is that we do it under the guidance of a spiritual master. Because our own mind can lead us astray. Our own mind wants us to stay in the comforts of the material world, the so-called comforts of the material world, because it's what we know. Right? Um, it's sometimes the discomfort we know is more comforting than the, you know, what could be out there. It may even be more comfortable, but we don't know. So it takes a little faith to understand that in order to give up some comfort, discomfort mixture, to get fully comfortable, like fully happy, you know, that we have to have faith that that's going to make us happy, that Krishna is going to make us happy. And we can let go of, you know, this idea of what's making us comfortable. So we have to be able to push ourselves through that. And sometimes that comes from outside of us. I mean, it's not uh, a novel concept just in spirituality. It's in every concept of knowledge, you know. Um, When I was becoming a doctor, it wasn't just the textbooks that were given to me. Or it wasn't that, oh, just um, go with whatever your mind thinks you should do, right? It's not like, oh, you see this patient that's sick, and I'll just guess, and internally that knowledge will just appear inside of me and guide me into the right direction of how to treat this person. No, I had books, which is an external source of knowledge. It's outside of myself. Um, And then on top of the books, we actually had other doctors teaching us. So it wasn't that just from the books I would learn. It's also seeing it in practicality, experiencing it. Um, we We have a saying in the medical industry, you know, med school and residency in the teaching academic world of medicine. It's see one, do one, teach one. So we see it, see procedure done. We do it ourselves, and then we teach it. And therefore, we have mastered that technique. But it's not until we can teach it that we master the technique. So we can be good at seeing it done and doing it ourselves, but we also have to become good at teaching it. So we can't do it uh, on our own. Um, Even if, you know, people are Googling um, treatments, again, they're still looking for answers outside. They're not just saying, oh, I know the answer within myself. And, you know, which a lot of times we hear with spirituality. Oh, I know the answer within myself, and I'll just pray within myself, and I'll find the divine path. And that may be true, right? Krishna is within us. But he, we also know that he works through his devotees, right? From the story I illustrated earlier, from you know the person who was sent a speedboat, a rowboat, and a helicopter, God was sending him those things, right? So if we are truly seeking knowledge and we're praying, you know, let me learn about you, God, and we're praying to our internal super soul, He's going to send us external teachers that can teach us that we don't get caught up in our own thought process in our minds that can lead us astray. And so even with spirituality, it's not just learning and doing ourselves. It's being able to teach it. And that is the difference between a practitioner and a guru or a spiritual master. Right? You can have someone who's a fitness buff, 
right? They're really good at taking care of their own health and lifting weights. But then you can also have a fitness guru who is now teaching that, how to do it to someone else. So we have to take on that role as well. If we really want to learn knowledge, we have to, one, find a qualified spiritual master to teach us that. And even Arjuna turns to Krishna and says, okay, teach me. I'm your you know, humble servant, humble disciple. Um, and even the whole Srimad Bhagavatam that we're reading from, you know, we first describe the relationship of, of spiritual master and, and student, of teacher and student, and how this knowledge is passed on from teacher to student who becomes a teacher and teaches his their students and so on and so forth. So we're looking for um, qualified spiritual masters, and they will know that they're qualified when we can see that their teachings um, coincide with what's in the scriptures. That the way the guidance that they're pri- providing us is actually leading us towards Krishna, and not for their own fame and glory. Everything that they're doing is for Krishna. You know, sometimes we may not see it, but then if we start to take a step back and say, okay, it looks like this person is just collecting money, but then when they use that money, it's to serve Krishna. Maybe it's so that they can do their service better, you know, buy buy plane tickets to travel or, you know, stay in, in dangerous locations, have a little food, things like that. So um, we have to look and see that if they're using, you know, if they're opulent now, if all of a sudden... People are fundraising, and you know they're they have like opulent clothes and opulent you know things are way too opulent. And in some cases, for our gurus, we want things to be very opulent. So in addition to their fundraising, we may gift them with expensive gifts. Like Prabhupada had gotten like a Rolls Royce, or you know, and he's like, just see how highly my disciples think of me. But he himself felt like he wasn't he didn't need that. He was happy riding a bullock cart, right? As his final request was, was to ride a bullock cart. He wasn't like, oh, make sure you rent the best of the best limos for me and take me around Govardhan, you know, for my final parikram. He's like, no, I want to go as simple as possible. And that was the whole debate because how could Prabhupada and Superior State handle the bounciness and the unsteadiness of a bullock cart. So we can see these kinds of examples in our founder, Acharya Srila Prabhupada, who is you know, a great example of a teacher who's following, his, who's following Vedic scriptures and is teaching from the scriptures um, and living by that example. So at the same time, we have to um, qualify ourselves by being plain and gentle, um, by being humble, inquisitively, um, in, you know, um, asking for, we can be inquisitive, but we have to be do so humbly without, you know, uh, trying to prove something. Well, I'm going to prove you wrong or with sarcasm or in a derogatory way. And then we have to be ready for it. We have to want it and we have to be willing to surrender. In my, um, in one of my business classes, you know, we have a term that if you're wanting to succeed at a high level of 
entrepreneurship, you have to be willing, coachable, and hungry, which means you have to be willing to do what you're instructed to do. You have to be willing to listen to what you're instructed to do. You have to be coachable, and you have to be hungry. You have to want it. You have to want it more than anything. And that's how we have to be when we, you know, are approaching our spiritual master on our um, path to enlightenment, to Krishna consciousness, to learn who is Krishna and our relationship to him. Now, this kind of surrender doesn't mean enslavement. It doesn't mean giving up everything. Because when we have the right spiritual master, they know how to guide us to use our strengths and skills and resources in service of Krishna. You know, sometimes the spiritual master may say, oh, if you have too many resources, too much opulence, that's going to keep you, you know, uh, entangled and not thinking of Krishna. So he may instruct us to give up some things or give away some things. But to someone else, he may tell them to gain more of it because he can see that their heart is wanting to use all of that in Krishna's service. So it's important to understand that uh, we may get different instructions from our spiritual master, our spiritual teacher, different lessons, because we all need to learn different lessons. But the idea is that all of this is meant to bring us closer to Krishna. And we have to be willing to accept that on faith, that our, our spiritual teacher, our spiritual master, is bringing us towards Krishna. And then finally, you know, we want to qualify ourselves to teach others, right? So we really have to um, surrender to our spiritual master and to do that. Prabhupada didn't say, okay, now just take this knowledge and sit in the temple and chant and read the books. He said, sit in the temple, chant, read the books, and then go out and spread this knowledge. Lord Chaitanya's mission is to spread this knowledge of Krishna consciousness so that we can make an impact um, in everyone's heart to, to awaken that dormant love that they may have and express it in whatever faith or religion that they have. But we know that Krishna is Krishna. God is God. Whatever way we find that path to him, you know, is that way we're finding it to him. We had a discussion earlier about the five types of relationships and how we, the most of what we see is the neutral servant um, or the, you know, the pater- like the paternalistic view of God, you know, this, that we are serving him. Um, but that is still a relationship to God. It's still a personal relationship to God. So, you know, we start, we may start from there and we may progress further. Or we may that we may be our eternal position. So if somebody's already in that mood of seeing God as the Father, you know, of serving God, then we want to encourage that and continue them on that path that they have. Just continue to reawaken that dormant love of Krishna, to feel compassion for all living entities. And so hopefully, you know, the more we are out spreading God's love and reawakening this dormant love for God the less these atrocities can happen, like the ones that are happening in Bangladesh and other parts of the world. And that's just, you know, what we're thinking about. There's so many other atrocities that happen every single day. We also discussed, you know, sex trafficking a few weeks ago. 
That's another big atrocity that happens every single day. So we want to not just take this knowledge and keep it for ourselves, but we also want to spread it around to everyone. And the best way to do that is by example, you know, to lead by example. To That was what Prabhupada did, that he led by example. So I'll end here and ask if there are any questions. Uh, yeah, one of the points that you were making in the class, uh, first of all, nice, thank you for a nice class, so many points you made. You're welcome. Uh, one of the points that you made was uh, our, how our senses are imperfect and our vision is very limited. So many times people uh, will ask Prabhupada, can you show me God? And Prabhupada will say, why are you so proud of your ability to see? Because if there is no light, you can't see. So, and even even material things you can see. So, and then there are more subtle things like air. We can feel it, but can't see it. Then more subtle is the mind. We can't see, but it exists. So God is beyond adokshaja. He's beyond the senses. So generally people say, uh, if I'll believe in God if you show me God. But I, the scriptures say, first believe, and then God will reveal himself to you wanted to, yeah, that point was very nice. And the other point that you were making is uh, we need something outside of us to, uh, outside source of knowledge to enlighten us. And therefore that 434, uh, you know, to take shelter of a guru. But some people say, if God is within me, why do I need any outside source? So how would we, what is your understanding? So God is within us. We have, every one of us, we have our own personal Krishna sitting in our hearts um, as uh, as a um, super soul, Paramatma. And, you know, we can pray and receive that enlightenment from Krishna. But because of our material conditioning and the way our mind works, we tend to get strayed back into oh, this is comfortable, you know, this is not going to make a big difference, just drink that alcohol or, you know, things that we know that keep us from being purely happy. Um, we tend to do that. I mean, we see it all over and over again, how we can self-sabotage ourselves as we're gaining success. People do it in relationships, right? They'll, they're having a nice relationship and then they'll do something because their mind uh, led them astray and thought, oh, well, what if he meant this by that? Or he looked at that other lady, maybe he's more attracted to that person. And so then we start to act on those insecurities. So it's the same kind of thing. Our mind can lead us astray um, when we don't have that. Uh, another way I can illustrate that is we may make some goal, right? Like I may make a goal of... Um, you know, I want to be fit. I want to run a marathon, let's just say. And in order to run a marathon, I have to train. I have to do some running every day. Now, if I have a coach or even an accountability partner, someone who's going to run with me, 
the chances of me actually going for the run is much higher. If it's just me and I'm like, oh, my God, it's 48 degrees outside, it's freezing, it's okay, I'll just sleep in this one time. And then that one time becomes two times, and then it becomes like three weeks, right? So if I have someone that's like, hey, we're meeting at this time, right? You know, we're a little bit more um, encounter, you know, like, I'm probably a little bit more likely to meet that person. Now, if it was a coach, someone who's not my peer, like an accountability buddy, but someone who's going to train me and I might be paying them or, you know, there's some other type of relationship there that's not just um, we're running together, then I'm going to be even more likely, right? So that's, that's how it is with even our spiritual path, that if, we are, if we're going to meet someone who's on our equal level, and we may listen to them, we may not listen to them. If it, feel, if it feels right, if it sits right with us, right? But if we have someone who's a teacher that we're going to meet with and they're going to instruct us, we're more likely to listen. So it really just comes down to how does our mind work. Is it possible that someone can? Yes. Is it probable? Not very likely. In communist societies, they have a children are taught that there's no God in control, that any concept of God is just a superstition, and that um, basically there's just there's no higher power. There's no. They believe that um, there's this soul. There's no. There's no higher power. And uh, anything, any beliefs like that are just superstition. So you wonder, since everything is done, everything is actually under a higher power and everything is, everything everybody does is, is under the control of Krishna or, the, or at least through his energies. So you wonder, so how do people grasp um, this concept that you there's no God. There's no, there's no higher power. I mean, I'm just trying to understand what, how do, what are they thinking? You know, I mean, it's so. It just as, as from a devotee standpoint, you see Krishna's hand in everything. There's not a blade of grass moves without Krishna's um, sanction. So how do how do people get sanctioned that that don't believe in Krishna and believe there's any God? How are they going on? So, again, there's so many things like we can just say we don't know, right? Because of our limited knowledge, we can make some educated guesses, educated um, inferences based on what we do know. And one, we do know that we're here in this material world because we have a um, we wanted to enjoy separately from Krishna. And what better way to enjoy separately from Krishna to, than to believe that there is no God? It makes it's kind of like our justification to enjoy separately from Krishna. 
And if we're born in such an environment that everyone around us is being taught that there is no God, well, we can understand that there's some karma that we had that led us to, desires even, that led us to be in that society. We can also see practically that when a lot of uh, people of communist countries came into contact with the devotees with Srila Prabhupada's books, with knowledge of God, um, they wholeheartedly took it up. Because the soul at the end of the day, constitutionally, the nature of the soul is to serve Krishna. And so immediately that spark was awakened in their hearts. Um, We still have people that don't want that spark awakened, and they're going to fight everything to not have that spark awakened because they think that they can enjoy. The mind leads them to believe that they can enjoy if there is no God, that they're the pure enjoyer, that they're the controller. And in a situation where someone's actively preaching atheism, it's easier to see those kinds of tendencies that the tendency to want to control, the tendency to be the enjoyer, the tendency to think that we're the doer. Although we all have those tendencies. So even though we have faith in Krishna and we're working on this, um, deepening our connection and realization of who we truly are, of our true knowledge, we still have these tendencies. And, you know, we can say, oh, someone who's atheistic has it you know, full fold, but we still have it at a smaller amount. And it comes to really focusing on what we can do for ourselves, which is further our path of enlightenment, of understanding that we're not this body, that we are spirit souls and that we're servants of Krishna. And with each level of understanding, being able to impart the level of understanding that we have, that knowledge to other people, and keep continuing to lead by example. And again, it's um, understanding that we're not the controller, that all I can do is present the knowledge and present the information and live by that example. I can't make someone say, oh, yes, I believe in God, or yes, I'm going to read this book. You know, all I can do is offer it. And that comes to where we let go of that result of what's happening there. Even if those results are very negative, I know a lot of the devotees in Russia you know, underwent so many austerities, so many hardships um, to be able to practice their Krishna consciousness, you know, spent time in jail, um, so many things like that. And again, we have to understand that we each have our own challenges, um, in, in dispelling our maya, dispelling our illusion. We each have our own journey that we have to embark upon in order to really, truly realize that we are servants of Krishna. And maya is going to continue to test us every step of the way under Krishna's guidance. You know, so I think that um, even the atheists, we have to have compassion for them because we're all just entangled in this material world. You know, we're all working from our limited senses, and some of us are having full faith that 
you know, that God is, does exist and that we are, um, he's going to protect us no matter what, no matter how that looks like. And when he's not in front of us, that's why we are feeling such disillusion and um, depression and anxiety and sadness, you know. And so the more we come to understand who he is, what's going on, what's real knowledge, some of those things start to fade away. Does that answer your question? All right. It's already 9 o'clock, so. Dhanantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.